there are as many euphemisms, it seems, in the world as there are people with a guilty conscience. And what is referred to as the grooming scandal in the UK has many euphemisms and very little accuracy, of course, in the mainstream media reporting. That either comes from a desire to have it keep happening or a guilty conscience about the circumstances that have resulted in estimates are hundreds of thousands of young white Christian girls being targeted, groomed, exploited, drugged, raped, tortured, and murdered and handed around as sex slaves and so on. The perpetrators are overwhelmingly Muslim, and the perpetrators are overwhelmingly from places like uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh. The victims are significantly white Christian girls, although the Sikhs have been targeted, as they have been targeted in other countries as well, and the Sikhs have been able to fight back more effectively. I grew up in neighborhoods not dissimilar from some of the neighborhoods that are being targeted for these uh, white girls. And I wonder so many things about this whole question. And it is such a fatal stab into the heart of England and of British culture, uh, a culture that fails to protect its children, that enables in many ways and almost encourages through turning a blind eye to this kind of predation, a culture that fails to protect its children from being destroyed physically, emotionally, and sometimes even in terms of their life, that fails to protect its children from being raped to the point of becoming infertile. And of course, if you are exposed to that kind of evil, that kind of predation as a child, what is your relationship to your society? What is your relationship to growing up, to having a boyfriend, to getting engaged, to getting married, to having children. It is a way of preventing the reproduction of your victims to attack and assault them in this kind of manner. In this case, there's an old feminist argument, I think holds fairly true in this, that this kind of predation is not about sex, it's about power, it's about dominance, it's about control. And given the scale and demographics, in my view, is easily viewable as an act of war. And sexual assault as an act of war has a long and ignoble history throughout human history. And I would put that in this category. The one thing that I keep thinking about, about this situation, is those who have been very keen on untested third world immigration. It's a theory, and it goes against, of course, a lot of human history. There was a theory that was put forward that this was all going to be wonderful, that this diversity was great, multiculturalism was going to be enriching, and everyone was going to end up better off than they were before. So that was a theory. Now, normally, if you have a radical departure from human history, where there were countries and there were borders, then if you are honorable and you have a theory, a conjecture, a hypothesis, then what you should do, of course, is you should test it out. 
you should try a little bit for a generation or two and see what happens. But this sort of massive opening of the gates and uh, letting everybody flood in, that is a massive experiment. And the costs and benefits are very challenging. And, and this is what I keep thinking about is, would you, if you are a proponent of open borders, of mass third world immigration and so on, which has directly resulted, you understand, in the rape and torture and murder of hundreds of thousands of British girls. I guess my question is, do you consider that worth it? Do you consider that worth it? Would you be willing to sit down with the survivors of these racist pedophile gangs? Would you be willing to sit down with them, let's say one a day, to explain why what happened to them was worth it for diversity, for multiculturalism, for whatever, I guess for votes, for labor, for votes for the left? Would you be willing to sit down day after day with victim after victim and spend a day with them explaining why what happened to them, how they were tortured and raped, how they were doused in gasoline and threatened to be set on fire, how guns were pressed to their temples, how they were handed around as receptacles. Would you be willing to sit down and explain to them why it was worth it, why what happened to them was a good for society as a whole? Now, you can do this with some groups, if there is an invasion of a very destructive group, uh, an army, a literal army, and young men are called to fight to defend the country. Let's say Nazis are coming in. Well, then there's going to be a lot of death and maiming and wounding and horrors and so on. And you may, of course, be able to sit down with the young men and say, what you suffered was worth it for society as a whole because of this. Now, you are honored. Your sacrifice is respected. You get ticket tape parades. You get pensions. You get medals. You get honor. Young men who fought against a desperately destructive enemy. It was worth it, and we're sorry that you had to do it, but the end result was the salvation of the country and the repulsion of the invaders. But we give you all honor your widows, get pensions, your children can handle your medals and look back in pride at what you did to save the country. But surely we don't draft the vaginas and anuses of little girls to be sacrificed to the altar of political correctness. We, we don't do that as a society, do we? We wouldn't draft little girls to fight. Do we draft their orifices to fight? I can't see how any even remotely reasonable moral theory could ever justify that. So if you are for open borders, if you are for mass... Immigration is one thing, but when you pay people to come to your country, a significant proportion of whom end up raping your children, and then you pay for them to continue to do so, through the welfare state, through free health care, through other forms of subsidies, everything from education to pensions to you name it. 
can you explain to them why what they suffered was worth it? What greater good their innocence, their body integrity, their reproductive capacity, sometimes their lives? Can you explain to them why it's worth it? Why what they suffered was worth it for your theory? And I think this fundamental question is what is driving this aversion to talk about it. Because there are people who don't want to look at the actual results of the theory. I also wonder, the Sikh community was quite assertive slash aggressive in trying to deal with this problem. They had some historical experience with it. I massively sympathize, of course. And I wonder, we probably will never know, but I do wonder how many of the children who were drugged and abducted and groomed and raped and tortured and murdered, how many of them came from fatherless homes? Because it's hard for me to imagine how fathers could, I don't know, bleat to the police who do nothing and then not find other ways of dealing with the problem. Move away. Find some solution. Raise a fuss. Have a march. I could even, though I don't condone it in some ways, I even understand how they could take matters into their own hands in other ways. But some of the earliest examples of these sexual assaults, rapes upon children, occurred in the mid-1970s. And what recently came to light in Telford has been going on since the 1980s, since decade after decade of the enabling of just this kind of predation. And those who are vile pedophiles have joined with these gangs, even if they have different religions, even if they have different demographics, because these gangs have been given carte blanche to rape and torture and murder children. Now, the media, of course, has a lot to do with this, and there have been some elements of the UK media that have been trying to bring this to light. But as a whole, it's not what happens, it's the story about what happens. I don't go as far as Hamlet saying there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. But how the media frames these kinds of incidents has a lot to do with society's power to deal with them in an effective manner. And the media, of course a lot of times we'll put the spin on, well, if arrests of a particular demographic or religion are very high, then this must be evidence of prejudice and racism. The fact that it's almost exclusively Pakistani Muslim men who are almost exclusively targeting young white British girls, you think would be evidence of patriarchy, sexism, racism, fear of the other, rape of the other, killing of the other. That would be, of course, a logical consequence of leftist theory, but leftist theories are not designed for logical consequences, but uh, rather of firing up the jetpack that burns the future of the young in order to rise someone to a position of power. And the media would do what if these gangs were exposed? If these gangs were exposed and had been exposed from early on, 
it might have had. See, that the real third world opening of the floodgates did not occur as strongly until the 90s. Now, if since the 70s and in the 80s, if the media had been exposing and talking about this, then there could have been a pause put on immigration from everywhere. From Something could have been done. There could have been a earlier Brexit. There could have been a, an earlier desire or capacity to change refugee laws, to change uh, immigration laws, if this had occurred. And the fact that this did not occur, it, it, it can't have been because the parents didn't care, and it can't have been because the children didn't care, and it can't have been because societies as a whole, communities as a whole didn't care. And so this didn't occur because everyone was afraid of the media calling them racist, even though Islam is not a race. Or, I guess, since uh, the 90s when the hate speech laws came in, everybody was afraid of going to jail for speaking facts and demanding solutions. But because there was this cover-up from the police to the governments, to the media, to academia, to everyone, it seems, then there was no recognition of the need to talk about third world immigration. And therefore more and more people poured in and therefore more and more children were raped and tortured and murdered. This is directly causal. This is directly causal. The perpetrators represent less than I would imagine. It's around 2% as a whole, but less than 2% of the population of well north of 80 to 90% of the perpetrators. These children could have been saved, but these children were sacrificed. These children were almost literally handed over in exchange for votes. In exchange for votes. Muslim community votes for the left in the West. And so we don't want to interfere with your votes. So please, here are our children to do with as you will as long as you vote for the left. And the silence and the cover-up. I can't imagine the police... Well, maybe now. I mean, the police now, if we look back at uh, the mid-1970s to now, more than 40 years, which means you've had a whole generation of police who come in and know that this is going to be covered up and know that they're going to be largely ineffectual in trying to deal with this issue. You've got a court system that's been corrupted, politicians that have been corrupted, a media who's been corrupted. Everybody now has a bad conscience, and when everybody has a bad conscience, things tend to continue, because they lash out extremely aggressively at anybody who provokes their bad conscience. That is something I have learned, well, for quite some time now. And what has this done to people's relationships to their local police. I mean, if you look at the relationship between African-Americans in America, of course, and their policing, it's very fractious. It's very, very concerning. But the government isn't inviting and paying for millions of people to come in 
of whom a significant proportion of the men end up raping and torturing and murdering black children. But this is occurring, of course, in the UK and in other countries as well. What has this done to people's relationships to their state, to the state, to their politicians, to the police? And what has it shown to people when you have a small minority of a population that I guess people are scared of, and therefore they are now exempt from laws? And not just exempt from laws, but they continue to be paid by the very state that refuses to protect the children that they prey on. Well, it tells you that a very small percentage of the population can exclude themselves from the law. And I'm not just talking about high-level Democrats in the U.S., but a very small percentage of the population can effectively exempt themselves from the law through a variety of threats, both explicit and implicit, threats of riots, threats of calling people racist or whatever, Islamophobic. And that's a very powerful thing to see. It doesn't take a lot of people to create no-go zones in the law, to create pedophile playpens immune from legal consequences, or largely immune from legal consequences. And again, I really want to stress, it's not just immunity from legal consequences, it's continuing to be paid to come and perform these actions. In return for votes? In return for votes. This same media went completely mental over someone like Margaret Thatcher. So did Pink Floyd. And this same media that went completely mental over a woman who wanted a smaller government, wanted a freer market, wanted some national pride. Well, she was their real enemy, you see. Not these groups. Not these racist pedophile gangs. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention was feminism. Feminism has, of course, been talking about rape culture and patriarchy and women and children and girls as victims for decades and decades and decades now. And you can go to the leading feminist sites, Jezebel and, and others, and you can go to the leading feminist sites and you can type in the word Jezebel. Sorry, you can type in the word Telford. And if you type in the word Telford on these leading feminist sites, you will get precisely zero hits. It's like they are just leftist LARPers of the mere ghosts and illusions of any kind of moral integrity. This is what bothers me most, is the lack of honor on the part of feminists. And the contempt that I have, the contempt that I have for feminists who constantly rail against rape culture and the exploitation of women and girls and who get really mad at mansplaining and manspreading and things like that. And you have, I think, what could argue, arguably called a patriarchal culture that is not immune from 
acting out rape of children. And they say nothing. They say nothing. Well, are they mere tools for leftist votes? Certain arguments that they are. But if they are, then they are set up to hate uh, white males and Christians who generally don't vote for bigger government. And the reason why they say nothing is that the perpetrators are the wrong race for them and the victims are the wrong race for them. In other words, feminism is simply anti-white racism and therefore when white girls are the victims, they say nothing. Who is speaking out for the victims of a radical immigration policy that is entirely under the control of the government. This is a social experiment entirely under the control of the government and ultimately of the taxpayers and the voters. And who is going to say to these girls that what happened to them was worth it for some larger social good? What? What satanic social theory do you have that requires the rape, mutilation, and torture of little girls. Does that not give you any pause regarding your theory? Well, I like this immigration policy. I like diversity. I like multiculturalism. And I'm going to stare into the dead doll's eyes of these traumatized, brutalized, raped, and half-killed little girls and say, hey, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Sometimes, literally, I assume, in this case. Why don't feminists say nothing? The feminists say nothing. What are they what are they doing? What are they where are their hearts? Where are their where's their compassion? Where's their empathy? Where's their morality? Where's their decency? Where's their honor? Soulless. vicious and horrifying beyond words. Like, it's one thing to be traumatized. But it's another thing to be ignored by the police, by the media, and even when the facts come out, to then be ignored. I, I can't, I can't, I can't picture this mindset. Like, I can't, I can't follow this line of thinking. I can't not empathize. with the little Sikh girls, with the little Christian girls. I used to ask myself, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these people? Like a genuine question. And I have the answer of what is wrong with these people. The world is at war between the makers and the takers. Those who produce and those who use the power of the state to strip that production. To take for themselves. Being an addict, a parasite to other people's productivity means you must dehumanize the productive. And there's a battle 
between those who get up and go to work every day and those who are raising their children and working hard, and between those who have a lot of time on their hands to cause trouble, to make waves, to propagandize, to protest. And it's an unfair battle. It's an unfair battle. Because those who have children and those who have jobs, they're busy. We're busy. We're busy. We're busy. We're busy. We have very little time to push back against the endless mosquito vampirism of those who prey upon our productivity. We've no time. You have a job. You have kids. You have very little time left over. But if you're sitting around on government money, you have lots of time. You're a student. You're taking some useless degree funded by the state. You've got lots of time. Lots of time. And massive incentive. And this combination of extra time and extra incentive is why things are falling apart. Why the center cannot hold. It is a war. And in any war that you wish to continue, you must hide the casualties, you understand. I mean, when the United States declared this horrifying, evil war on Iraq and Afghanistan. In the U.S. papers, you would see the pictures of the soldiers, the American soldiers, who died. 98% of them men, because privilege. You don't see the photos of the Iraqi victims, not just the soldiers, but the civilians, of course, when Barack Obama dropped 100,000 bombs, largely on Muslims, during his uh, eight-year reign, you did not see pictures of the victims. Because if you want the wars to continue, if you want the victims' bodies to continue to pile up, you must hide the victims so that you do not shock the remaining moral sensibilities of the population. And we see this as well now. Victims of another war. These poor, brutalized British children. These girls. Sacrificed. On the altar of leftist power lust. We cannot see their faces. We cannot hear their voices. Because the war must continue. Continue.